Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Hello, everybody. I'm Rabbi Tirza. I'm delighted to be here. Can everybody hear okay without a, without a mic? If, if for any reason my voice drops, just put your hand up and I'll repeat myself. So this is a very special day. Some of you know why. Some of you may not know why. We are in, a, in the middle of a big holiday. It's the, it's the Arbor Day for us in the Jewish calendar, to be Shvat, the middle of the usually comes in January, February, and it's this big moon. This year is a super moon. Did anyone see the eclipse last night? Wasn't that sensational? Uh, very, very special. Sometimes it's called a blood moon. It's called an eclipsing moon. It's a super moon. It's, anyway, we're very, it's very auspicious. And it's also Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as well as a day that we are going to explore an aspect of Judaism that is little celebrated, but very, very important. And that is uh, a, a being, a, a, an archetype, a face of God that is little known, but more and more known called, that I'm going to call today Shekhinah. Um, it's an auspicious day for all these very various reasons. And this aspect of our heritage of Judaism, the Shekhinah, has many names and many faces, but I'm going to call her Shekhinah, as we're going to see a much more multifarious view of her today and explore her. And interestingly, she is a, an archetype that brings together trees and nature, our pursuit of justice personified by Martin Luther King Jr., as well as this venerable and ancient aspect of our of our heritage, uh, Judaism. So let me tell you a little bit about myself first. I was raised in the Midwest, in St. Louis. Anyone here from the Midwest? Once upon a time? Yes, I've been living in Colorado for 40 years. Uh, as Sarah said, I founded a, a, a shul there. But I was raised in a very orthodox home where all the Torah commentaries and all the philosophical teachings and the entire orientation was taught by, mostly by bearded rabbis, male, all male rabbis. In those days, there were no women rabbis. And it was not said, but it was understood that God, too, was a bearded rabbi <laughs> who was somewhere up, up there and... There was no question that God was male and that the normative Jew was male. 
even though I am very, very grateful. This was a very comprehensive Jewish education, and I was a girl, of course, and I received that wonderful education. But in time, it grew narrow for me. I wanted more. Some of you know my story. I left Judaism for about a, a decade in search of another kind of Judaism, a, a kind of Judaism that was more, perhaps we could say, embodied, a kind of Judaism that had meditation, that, taught, that, that spoke about things that, uh, about the soul. I wanted a more mystical face of spirituality, and I wanted a, a, a Judaism, I wanted a, really a religion and a spiritual experience that was direct, that was about social justice, that, was, that gave me a sense of inclusivity, that even as a female, I would be as important as, and so I'm looking for egalitarian, inclusivity, social justice, and I went far, far away in my explorations. All this is in my first book, and many of you know that, uh, only to come back through another door, not the orthodox door, but through a door that was opened wide by a rabbi named Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi of blessed memory. How many of you have heard of Reb Zalman? Okay, good. Um, and, and with Reb Zalman and the Jewish Renewal Movement, I learned that all of those things were part of Judaism. They just hadn't been represented uh, in my orthodox, very male-oriented upbringing. There was meditation, it was egalitarian, it was joyous, it was uh, given to tzedek work, to social justice work, all of those things. So um, here we are, and uh, I have understood now, and what I would like to bring you, you today are images and words from our tradition, from our ancient Jewish tradition, that help us understand that this feminine face of God and the feminine face of Judaism has been there all along. Now, where has it been? And why has it been so little represented all of this time? When we could, in another time, delve into that, I could say a few things that uh, perhaps in the Enlightenment, all through Europe and Russia, that she was lost and went underground. She was submerged because of a very ultra- a desire to pursue an ultra-rationalistic Judaism. And so the feminine face was downplayed. I could say that because of our history of the Shoah and the oppression, the Shoah and the, the Holocaust and the pogroms, uh, she was neglected and left along with all the mystical leanings of our people uh, because of just our pursuit of surviving. But that's another talk about where she went. Today, let me just say that we are living in a golden age of Judaism. I'm not naive, as we just were, were talking about this. Uh, there are very bad forces right here in our American culture. But nevertheless, I want to say we are living in an amazing golden era. And how do I know that? Because uh, since 1972, for the first time in Jewish history, women have been ordained as rabbis. Women are spiritual leaders. Uh, in a, yes, it's okay to applause and to dance around the room. Uh, we have women theologians and choreographers and musicians and composers and cantors 
and university professors <coughs> teaching Jewish learning, higher Jewish learning. And, and this is, it was always going on, but never in such an official capacity. And uh, so we are, uh, I, I always try to tell our daughters and our granddaughters, don't take this for granted. This was not always the case. We know we're, we're heading into the 100th year of women's suffrage in this country. Let's not take that for granted. We had people giving, literally giving their lives and their schwitz, their blood, sweat, and tears to uh, make it possible for women to vote. Uh, but in Judaism, that is the same. It's, a, it's, it's also the case. So today, uh, I'd like to um, share with you a few things that I find are very beautiful. A few of the gifts of this period before we dive in. Um, why is it that the Shekhinah is more prevalent now than ever before? Why is it, uh, why is it possible for women to be at so equal? Let me say, number one, we might all say, well, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there was a feminist revolution in the West. And women came into all kinds of power. So that makes sense that the feminine aspect of God in all religions was, was going to start coming out. Uh, but there are other, th other factors as well. Starting in about the mid-1980s, there was a prolific flowering of translations of mystical texts into English, of mystical texts from our Kabbalah. When I say Kabbalah, I mean Jewish mysticism, uh, that had never before seen, they were really only handed down from man to man, from man to boy in a secret, really uh, the, the elite intelligentsia of Judaism. All of a sudden, starting in about 1982 and 1985 again, all of these mystical texts from the Bahir to Abu Lafia to the Zohar, they were all starting to be translated. And for some in the, who are Orthodox, that was a terrible catastrophe because all of a sudden, non-Jews could look at these texts Women could look at these texts. Uh, pe people that weren't Shomer Shabbos could look at these texts. All of a sudden, there was a democratic uh, splurge that happened, and people could study that had, were never, ever given the, the right to study before. So that's another factor in this golden age. And finally, I want to say uh, number three, and the last one is the positive influence of science. In 1969, a rocket went up broadcasting pictures of Earth from space. And what did that do for us? What did that do for our collective psyche? Who do you, what do you think, what was the effect of that? Good, everything became small, everything became awesome. Here was this blue jewel floating in the middle of space and it was, I think the miracle of life on the planet came home to us, as well as the idea that there were no, and the, and the visual perception, that there were no boundaries or borders between countries. That was another, that there was also a sense that there is some a miracle in life itself, and, uh, and that we are living an awesome, an awesome existence. Uh, we had a heightened awareness of our physical environment, and that was really, you could say, the beginning of the environmental movement and the sheer mystery of life on Earth, as well as her, 
fragility and the interdependence of life, which is something that has everything to do with the feminine principle of Shekhinah. So all of these factors have augmented our understanding of Shekhinah. So let's take a look now at the divine feminine as she appears through pictures and words and through from ancient times unto today. I'm going to call her Shekhinah. Can you say that word? Shekhinah. Good. Okay. Sometimes uh, once someone came up to me and said, do you believe in the Shekhinah? And I didn't know what she was talking about. And finally, it occurred to me that that's, she was talking about that. I thought maybe it was a, a body part, but it was, it was not. <laughs> Even though, like I said, she has a multitude of names and faces and uh, appears in a variety of costumes. She has a, a wonderful wardrobe. So one of the oldest portrayals of Shekhinah uh, is not in the five books of Moses. She came a little bit later. She is portrayed in Job, Psalms, Proverbs, the Song of Songs. Here she is portrayed as wisdom, as Chachma in Hebrew. Uh, in Greek, she was Sophia. She's the feminine counterpart of the solo, kind of macho creator of Genesis, which is the foundational creation story of Judeo-Christian history. So let's take a look at Proverbs 8, the voice of Chachma. She's the, she is the counterpart and we could say the consort of God who's deeply devoted to humanity. God formed me from the beginning. Before anything else was created, I was appointed in ages past at the very first before the earth began. I was by God's side, architect and artisan. God's daily delight, rejoicing always in God's presence. Delighting with the world newly created, my special joy was B'nai Adam, humanity. And so, my children, listen to me, for all who follow my ways are joyful. So we see her as who? She's a creator. She's a creatrix. And she is uh, joined in love and play and delight with the God of Genesis. Now, we can see why the rabbis were a little nervous about this. Why would they have been nervous about this? It, God forbid, God forbid that anyone would think that there's not a monotheistic God, that there's not, God is not one. But it's okay because the Kabbalists understood that there's one God with many faces and many aspects. Yes. Good, that first one is... As if she is beside God. That's right. That's right. I don't know if you take that. And that's why how many of us have actually heard of Chachma as a, as a mythic face of God? In our Torah, maybe one, maybe two people in this whole room. So that is exactly, that's precisely the, the rabbi's fear that anyone would think, my gosh, there was... There wasn't just a male god, Yudke Vavke, that's creating an Elohim that's creating uh, this world, but that is in our Torah. So um, that's what we're we're expanding our our view today. Yes. Good. Okay. Well, woo, we've got an educated crowd here. Yes, and that is and, and the mystics teach because Elohim is the word, is the god name that represents 
nature and all of her multiplicity of faces. And Elohim, as this educated uh, guest has said, participant has said, is plural. So there, because there are many, there's an in, in uncountable amount of faces of God. Okay, so we're moving into from ancient. This is like, that was from about 300 even BCE. Now we're going into the common era, the first and second centuries, where the Talmudic rabbis also said, no, there is a presence. There is an indwelling presence, and we understand it. Um, the Shekhinah rests among humans, but never in gloom or sloth. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading the wrong, the wrong one. First, the Shekhinah is the space between us. So Rabbi Hananiah ben Teradion said, if two people, and this is probably famous to you, or uh, maybe you've heard this, some of you, if two people sit together with words of Torah between them, the Shekhinah is in their midst. And isn't it true that if you get together even over coffee and you're having a talk with someone you love and that loves you and you're talking about high-minded things, you have a, there's a feeling, there's a feeling there, even if it's in the feeling of camaraderie and of goodness. And the rabbi said, that feeling that energy between you is Shekhinah. When two or three sit together in the marketplace and words of Torah are between them, there the Shekhinah resides. I think we all have, have an experience of that, right? They also said, <clears throat> this is also the Talmudic rabbis, the Shekhinah rests among humans, but not in gloom or sloth or scoffing laughter or idle chatter, Shekhinah resides among us when we have joy, joy at doing the mitzvot, the commandments. She is like the minstrel who played, evoking God's prophecy from the prophet, from the prophet Elisha. So what do we learn here about the Shekhinah? What are her preferences? She doesn't like to be bummed out. She doesn't like to be carried down with depressed thoughts because she knows better. She knows that life is a miracle. She wants to be, uh, she wants to be joyful. And uh, she's like the minstrel, the muse, who played in the ancient, ancient days. There were, was a, a league of prophets who uh, we know about the famous ones, but there were, there were bands of prophets. And they would play music, beautiful harp music, like David, King David played. They would play music to evoke their prophetic skills. And, and so the rabbis are saying, Shekhinah is like the muse who, who, uh, pro, who brings out of us our deep inner wisdom and God's voice. And now we come to something that probably everyone here knows, that feeling that happens when we visit the sick. We comfort the, the mourner or we visit the sick. Shekhinah resides at the head of a person, person's sickbed. And that's a beautiful thought. We feel it because we know the goodness in our hearts when we go to the hospital or we go to visit somebody. And we know when we've been sick the, or we've been in mourning, the great comfort that it brings us to have somebody go out of their way for us and bring a meal or just come and hold our hand. Yes? Uh, I have a question and I need some feedback. And isn't it true that someplace it says that when you visit the sick, one sixteenth of your uh, illness, and if 
vanishes. I think it's 160th. I wish it were 116th. But yes, because the person who's visiting alleviates the burden. It's almost like I'm carrying your heartache with you, with me. I'm, so I'm taking it away. It's a lovely, it's a lovely thought. Well, where did you say that? Uh, it's somewhere in the Talmud. I don't know it off my head, but I can, I can look it up for you. Very good. Thank you, Rabbi Tracy. Uh, visiting the sick is one of our great mitzvot, is one of our great de connecting deeds, and as is visiting, visiting someone who's in mourning. And I, if ever you have a doubt, do it, because they're the Shekhinah. You will have a, an experience of the Shekhinah, of this feminine face of God visiting with you. Is that because you're bringing the Shekhinah with you? Good. Or the Shekhinah's in the room, or yes? Yes. <laughs> Everything. I mean, now the rabbi said that she, it's, it's that she recites at the head of the sick bed, and that would be you're gonna you're gonna get this soon because we we understand the shechinah suffers with us. She's not apart from us. The shechinah is the aspect of God that is inside, indwelling, and she's not way up there, the cosmic part of God. No. Not the transcendent part of God, but the part of us that is, uh, some, that is in exile. Take a look at the next one. So this is a, a beautiful image, a sad image, of the exile of the Hebrew people. After you see in the upper left side, there is the Beit HaMikdash, the temple is burning down. Uh, and we see the Shekhinah, in spirit form, some people say that she was, and, and this is from Midrash, that she was Rachel Imenu, Rachel, our, our foremother, who was buried on the, on the crossroads of Ephrat and, Beth, and Bethlehem, who came out as the people were being taken into slavery and, and, and hurting for them and pledging that she would go with us into exile, into slavery, into... Uh, into our diaspora. And so wherever the people of Israel went in exile, the Shekhinah went with them. So we understand the Shekhinah and the Kabbalists, as we're about to see, understood Shekhinah as part and parcel of our journey. And um, just like she's present with mourners and the sick, she's present with refugees and immigrants as well, people who've been displaced and uprooted. What do we know about Shekhinah so far, thus far? Who would like to just say words, descriptive words about her? Jo she likes joy. She tends toward joy, although we see that she's willing to go into suffering. Okay, good. What else? She delights in our doing good, right? She goes with us on our journeys. She protects and nurtures us. Say hope. She's always hopeful. Very good. I think this is what. Yes, please. But is it also saying that she can't um, diminish the pain that you're going through yourself? She can't take that away. She can't take that away. But she. But like this gentleman just said, someone who intermixes with us when we're suffering alleviates part of our suffering. So she intermingles. This is the part of God that intermingles with us. In fact, one of her names is Knesset Yisrael. She is in the body of Israel. She's she is us. 
She is us. Shekhinah are us. <laughs> um, and so she's not separate from us. In fact, many people call her the mother. She's the mother. Somebody, uh, because of Martin Luther King Day, was just uh, a rabbi, a rabbinic colleague, Jonathan Clear, was just reminding a group of us that met for a study that the Statue of Liberty, remember this beautiful poem that's by Emma Lazarus that's on her base, says she's the mother of exiles. Now, who is the Statue of Liberty if not a, a kind of personification of Shekhinah herself? Because she's, she's the mother of us all. She's the mother of exiles. She feels deeply when people are uprooted. And so the immigrant and refugee crisis that we're in right now, she is kind of part, she's right in the middle of that, feeling with us and for us. Well, we're going to get to Mother Nature. So any kind of mother, we're going to see. So she has the qualities of being here and now, compassionate and nurturing. Uh, and, you know, we've always been a very rational and, um, and logical and thoughtful people. But historically, the people wanted more than just rationability. And ultimately, we could say the people demanded to have a face of God that was also warm like this and intermingled with humanity. So when the Kabbalists, uh, when they started writing things down in the late 1100s with the Bahir and then the 1200s with the Zohar, started expanding our religious language and giving her other images, and let's take a look at those. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. So how many here know about the Sabbath bride, the Shabbos queen? Same thing. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with Friday night, this, these prayers, like Lachadodi, were created by uh, 16th century Kabbalists from Sfat. They loved, they were in love with the Shekhinah. And so they gave us prayers that, uh, and practices that have everything to do with her. They said that this was one time every week that the Shabbat Queen, the Shekhinah, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu are exactly equal because they knew very well that the masculine principle, the masculine energies, the rational, logical, uh, straightforward, arrow-shooting uh, aspect of, of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism, was, was more dominant, and certainly in the West that's true in, as a culture. But they said one time a week we light two candles. What are those two candles for? for the masculine and the feminine, the king and the queen to stand in perfect harmony and in perfect equality. Now, uh, you may not know this, but you're not allowed to have one candle that's big and one candle that's small. And that's, that's the reason. We have two candles that are, that are representing the marriage of the masculine and the feminine. The Kabbalists also said, called the Shekhinah the moon. Last night we saw her in her glory going under the eclipse and then coming back out. So she is the ever-changing moon. 
Here we have the perfect rose, Shoshana ben Hachochim. She is like the rose amidst thorns and thistles, as the great ocean, sometimes called in the Gikatiya, she's called Yam Hachachma, the ocean of wisdom. And here's one that I love almost the most of all, the Pardes Tapuchim, the apple orchard. This is one that is spoken of in Zohar. Isn't that beautiful? Can you just, uh, it's so evocative. Imagine going into a beautiful spring orchard and the fragrance being like a, a, a cloud of beauty. So we have all of these. And um, let's go back and see. So we have had the, we've had the Shabbos bride, we've had the moon, the rose, the ocean, the orchard in full blossom. What, what are characteristics of all of these? If there was just a word or two that you would name. Sorry? Beauty, good. Natural, nature, good. What else? What's the feeling that all of these have? Sorry? Loving. Love, loving, beautiful. Connection, Connection. excellent. Bus? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's peaceful. All of these just give you a feeling of peace and calm. Excellent. And, and just a sense of inner joy. They're not loud. It's not a rock concert. It's some inner, inner equilibrium. They're all images of beauty. That's right. And they take us inside. It just makes you want to go, ah, oh, right? And so it, it's very embodied. I want to give you one more, which is a, uh, a, an image representation of Shekhinah that is all throughout the Zohar. I just spent a whole week studying with my Zohar teacher on this one. And uh, it might surprise you. Here is the Ayala the gazelle, the female deer. And she is very central. Uh, the gazelle is, again, this gives you that feeling of nature, of love, of calm, of beauty, strength. of strength. Let's take a look at what the, and remember, this is, this is a, uh, an image representation of Shekhinah. Let's see what the Zohar says about her, O sleeping ones, who among you transforms darkness into light, bitterness into sweetness, and awaits each day the light, the dawn light, that shines when God visits the dough and is glorified. Now that's Kabbalese. We're not going to go into that. We could do a whole day on that one pasuk, on that one verse. But just to say that there was an idea amongst the Zoharis, amongst the Kabbalists, uh, in 13th century Spain, that every morning at dawn there is some mystical act that happens when the masculine face of God meets the feminine face of God and give birth to the new day. Now, I was so curious about this idea of the gazelle, the female doe, that I, I looked her up online to see what other portrayals artistic portrayals, perhaps, we might find. And here we have, I'm just going to show you these and ask you what you think. Often art, as we know, depicts a deeper truth in our culture. Things that are known, it's the unthought known, as Christopher Bolas says. It's the unthought known. 
And so what do we, what do we learn from these depictions of the ayala, the gazelle, through art? What are, we, what are we seeing here in these last five slides? She is threatened. She is threatened. Okay, what else? She is threatening to them. Okay, and she is, and in turn, she is threatened. Yeah, thank you. What else? Please. I think there's a lot of positivity and forward moving now. We think okay. it's not in every slide um, that she's running away from something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Let's take a look again. She's, what is, what's happening here? She's, what's happening here? Yeah. What's happening here? She's, I don't know if you can see there's a hoist, uh, like a, a rope around her carrying her off. So what are we, what are we understanding from these? Art images, something under threat. That's right. She's vulnerable. She's delicate. The gazelle is a delicate animal. It's not a. Uh, it's not even a carnivore. It's a herbivore. It's a. It's. It's not an animal that hurts, that is out to hurt or or kill, but rather just to be. And my beloved, uh, well, we could say that um, this. Being here and now version of God is also a depiction, I think you said it before, of nature, of the delicate fragility of nature, of our home. Um, so we often find her in art pieces as degraded or under attack or hunted. And like we said, she suffers with humanity. She is humanity. But she's often not the boisterous humanity. She's the more fragile aspect of humanity, women and children or immigrants or the sick. That's who she likes to visit. My teacher, Reb Zalman Shachter uh, Shalomi, said, Shekhinah in our day is Mother Earth. And she is suffering. And she is calling out to us to help her heal. And... Um, very much in keeping with this idea that somebody said before that that she is our she is our planet very much in keeping with a lot of the mystics from many many er, through many areas eras that said every leaf every stone is a camouflage of divine mystery this very world the whole world is a camouflage of god god is just below the surface revzalmi used to say that we uh, God is always playing peekaboo with us through the, through the many, many faces, the multifarious faces of, of creation. Let's not forget that we find Shekhinah's health and revival in strong Jewish women. Let's take a look at this next slide. Does anyone know who those women are? Very good. Okay, there are strong women and men around the world who say Judaism is ready for equality and for full fairness for all, for women and men, for Ashkenazic and Mizrahi uh, Jews, for 
uh, Jews of color and Jews who are differently able and Jews of all kinds of orientation. Here we have the women of the wall praying at the Kotel. We know if you've been reading the news, they have been unfortunately very much under attack. Uh, but here are women who are loving Torah. And here's a woman doing Hagba. That's always a lovely thing. That's a rarity to see a woman who's that strong and can raise up the Torah. Here again at the Kotel, these are the women of the wall. And uh, it's beautiful to see women of all generations coming into their ownership of, of Torah. And... Um, proudly owning their share, their birthright, our birthright in Judaism, in our ancient heritage. So I'd like to leave us with a final image of Shekhinah that we haven't talked about yet, but which goes with today, which is Tubishvat. And the Hebrew didn't transfer here, but here she is, the Eitz Chaim He. She is the tree of life. And, uh, and we could say that this is our great family tree, the family tree of our heritage, the ancient tree. And uh, before we open for questions, I wonder if you'd be open to um, uh, doing a little reflection, a little meditation. Would people be open to that? Good, okay. And nobody has to, obviously. If you wanna just sit this out, you're welcome. Just take this time to Relax, but uh, if you can, sit comfortably in your chair. And you can just uh, let things off of your lap for a moment and relax. To bring home Shekhinah more personally to ourselves. So take a minute, close your eyes if you would. If that helps you go inside and take another breath. So we've seen a lot of images, the rose, the candles, the ocean, the gazelle. But now let's focus on the tree. And I'd like you to invite a picture of your own personal family tree, wherever you're from, your family tree. Imagining that the branches and, um, go way, way, way back from before you. And... Each of our family trees is part of this great tree of our people. So see an image of your own family tree now, beloved, and with uh, your, your ancestors, with your parents, with your bubbies and zadies. No need to glorify it or make it idealistic because we all have uh, all kinds of things in our families that we would prefer aren't there, but uh, or personality issues, but just f having a sense of all of the people who make up your tree. And now I'd like you to bring to mind someone, one person on this tree. Could be a, it could be a man, but, but it could also be a woman who embodies the loving qualities of Shekhinah the loving qualities of Shekhinah for you. Someone who, when you think of them, gives you a feeling of love and care that they're with you, that they're right here with you in your heart. 
And as you bring that person to mind, feel her love for you across the ages. It might be someone who's gone from this world but is still there in presence, in love. Still caring about you, still blessing you. Feel, just feel their love and feel their blessing, receive their blessing and their love, gather it into your heart. If there's something going on in your life right now, a question or a problem, bring it to mind. Don't hesitate. Bring it to mind and ask. Hold the question in your heart. Ask this Shekhinah person, this caring, loving ancestor. for a blessing, for help, for encouragement, for strength. Imagine that they are there, here, right here. Open the door, open the channel to this person and let their strength and hope and faith in you come through. Take a minute to receive their strength, receive this blessing. It's okay to ask for help because help is there. And now, before we close, I want you to, to also send them a blessing, send a blessing back, and a thanks and a gratitude for being an embodiment of the Shekhinah in your family tree. Sometimes the Shekhinah smiles upon us through our ancestors, through our parents, through our, our Bubbies and Zadis, through people who aren't even in this world, but they are very much in, in the world, in our hearts. So let there be a shower of that love and care and encouragement. Come back into the room. You might just rub your hands together and come back fully into your extremities. And we'll end with a bracha that the Shekhinah continue to thrive and grow strong in our world and include all of us under her enormous branches. Thank you very much. Okay, well, we have a little more time, and so we can, uh, we can share. Anything that you'd like to say, and I'll repeat the question so everyone can hear. The, the Bible is full of stories of angels, an entity someplace between God and us. Right. Do the rabbis understand the Shekhinah to be in that area, or do they understand the Shekhinah to, in fact, be an aspect of
Yes, so the question is, what about malachim? What about angels? And did the rabbis understand that to be an aspect of Shekhinah? And I would say that the, the word malach, the word angel in Hebrew is messenger. So th there's a very uh, acute understanding and a very, I think, well, uh, well plowed uh, understanding of, of the angelic realm to be very different than the God realm. There are different worlds above us and beyond us. And the angelic realm, those are mashartim, those are servers and, and um, messengers and envoys of the divine realm, but they're not God, God's self. So Shekhinah is really, really another, in another department, you could say. <laughs> okay, yes, please. In the classical view of the Hatma is on the right side, wisdom, and which is typically the male side. That's right. Bina on the left, the female. Very good. Which is more actually rational. That's right. And Shekhinah on the Sephiroth in the middle at the bottom is the marriage of the two. That's right. Can you help clarify and resolve um, the differences in your use of Hakma to describe Shekhinah and the different uh, qualities of male versus female as they relate to more of the classical Sephiroth. Good. Okay. Excellent. Educated. Erudite question. Um, remember that this is a this is thousands of years in the making. The first depiction of Chachma was from was it an infusion of Hellenistic philosophy, who said we have Sophia, we have this this uh, mythic feminine wise being who is at the very epicenter of creation, and she is feminine called Chachma. But much later, hundreds and hundreds of years later, that evolved. First of all, the rabbis pushed that down because it was way too uh, threatening of the, mono, the monolith that, it, that God should be. He didn't want people to misunderstand that there's a feminine chokhmah, that there's a feminine wisdom cre uh, creatrix. So that was submerged very quickly, and it became Torah. Chachma became Torah. Now, you know, when we sing, when we put, the Rabbi Tracy knows all this, when we sing, Eitz Chayim He, remember that? When we put the Torah away, that comes from Proverbs, Eitz Chayim He, she's a tree of life for all who hold fast to her. That, isn't, that wasn't Torah, that was Chachma. The, 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 the writer of Proverbs was talking about Chachma, about Sophia, about this ageless wisdom in the Godhead. And that the rabbis thought, no, that is going to be way too dangerous. People will misunderstand that. We are now saying that that is Torah. So Chachma became Torah and later became, in later Cordovero and uh, the 16th century, Kabbalists became the father, the partsuf of Abba. So she became, she became a trans, a trans god <laughs> and changed over her garb from female to male. Uh, and Bina, which is about discernment and about distinguishing things and about very much more rational, became the feminine. And they marry in the uh, Cordoveric Kabbalah 
and they marry together and have, and the Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is Tiferet. This is, don't worry about all of this. These are just names and these are sphero, these are uh, aspects and spheres of, of God energy. But um, there is an evolution, that's what I want to say. There's an evolution from 300, 400 BCE all the way to the Kabbalistic uh, Renaissance. And so everything changed around. Shekhinah, which lives on the very bottom as Malchut, is really the embodied, sort of the, shikh, the, the God that we feel in our, everyone, everyone take your hand and put it on your, exactly, on your, right under your jaw, and you'll feel, this is what the rabbis say, is that she is as close to us as our jugular vein. If you're here today, you have a jugular vein or a carotid artery that is thumping. And so the, the Kabbalist said, Kol dodi do feg, the voice of my beloved is knocking. And they would make a joke about how God is knocking on our door through the pulse in our wrists and in our necks. I mean, that's, you can't get much more embodied than that. So there's a whole evolution there. It's an excellent question. Thank you so much. Um, I take that up, by the way, in my second book, The Receiving, which is, talks about that evolution. Who else? Anything? Yes. I have a question regarding your first comment about um, how we are to regard her as being in the space between us, studying Torah and so forth. So could you make that a parallel with the interest in the white spaces between the letters? That there's potential for renewal constantly, and that she might be found in the white spaces. That's great. Well, if if I were if I had more time, I would go. Oh, it's not on this. Sorry, it, it, was, it was and it got taken off. Um, uh, it is exactly that. She is understood by Levi Yitzchak of Berdachev to be the white fire upon which the black fire is written. And, and the beautiful prophecy, uh, the rabbi said, in the days to come, when we're all enlightened and we can see 360 degrees, will be able to read the Torah not by the black letters, but by the white spaces in between the letters. And it's a whole different story. That's the Messianic Torah. So that's wonderful that you said that, yes. I took that part out of the slideshow because I thought it's getting a little too technical. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes? Um, is there um, a place either in Shmona Esrei or in Amisha Beirach that the word Shekhina and what Shekhina does in those two or someplace else? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, only in... Uh, it's hinted at, at the... in the Aleinu. Okay. So when the Aleinu quotes Ezekiel and says, uh, on that day, God and... Bayom Hahu, sing with me if you know that. Bayom Hahu, Yee Adonai Echad, Ushamo, Ushamo, Ushamo Echad. Excellent. Now you don't know that you are proclaiming one of the great, you're proclaiming one of the great prophetic beliefs of faith in our tradition, which is that on that day, God, the masculine God, Ushemo, God's name, which is code for Shekhinah, 
will be one. So in the, in the days to come, God willing, when Mashiach comes, there's not going to be this schism between masculine and feminine. There's going to be a unity. And what would that be like? I mean, that's a wonderful thing to ponder. What will it be like on earth when, uh, when God and God's name are one, when Kaddish Baruch Hu and Shekhinah are one? Uh, how will we be different? How will the world be different? Would anyone like to offer a thought? Yes? <laughs> Oh, okay. That's not in every sitter, however. Okay, I'll repeat it. Okay. Wow, but Shekhinah is not mentioned there. But it's like Hashem talking to us about being betrothed to us. Good, so, the, the, so there's a correction from the back of the room that indeed Shekhinah is mentioned in so many words in Aramaic. There's a, an af, a Kabbalistic affirmation in some Sidurim, in some of the Siddur prayer books, that says, I take this up in the receiving too, I do this davening, or I do this mitzvah. You actually say it in, in, before you do any big commandment, or any commandment. I'm doing this for the sake of God and for the same, sake of the unification of Kaddish Baruch Hu and, and his Shekhinah. In awe and in love for the sake of all God wrestlers, for the sake of all B'nai Yisrael, uh, may that yichud be a healing of the break of the yud Kay and the vav Kay. So it gets into technical uh, mysticism, but it's really important what, he, what you're saying because uh, how many of you have ever heard of that prayer that you say before? So the mystics in the room are <laughs> raising their hands. It's not, I mean, it's often in the, more in the Sephardic Sidurim and less in the Ashkenazic, but it's starting to be much more uh, popular now because, because of the Shekhinah prevalence, because we're, our awareness that there are, there, there's been a break between masculine and feminine, and that, uh, as the Kabbalists taught, we want there to be a remarriage. We want there to be a healing between these two sides of ourselves and two sides of the world and two sides of, of divinity. Thank you. Excellent. You guys are awesome. Okay, yes, please. A question. Um, does it make sense to say that in, if I remember that I, the Shahina, if I, if I have a memory of, of Shahina in a moment that I'm actually bringing Shahina to me and um, the person I'm with, is it the memory? Okay, so the question is if I'm remembering and if I'm bringing awareness, I think you're saying... Yes that Shekhinah is here, yes. is she there? Is yes. she here? Yes. Um, I think that's what it takes. The, and the, it's the practice of remembering that I'm an embodiment, that we're all embodiments of the God spark, and that, that Shekhinah's living. Remember, remember her name, was, it went away. Shekhinah, the indwelling. She, that means she dwells in us. Actually, the, remember the, the line in Torah that says, Yasuli Mikdash Vishakanti Bitocham. 
make for me the sanctuary and I will live inside of you. I will live inside of the people. It doesn't say I will live inside of the Mishkan. It says I will live inside of you. So it's remembering that she's right here, remember, like that. And so just calling her to consciousness is what it takes. So that becomes the responsibility. That becomes a responsibility. If you see it that way, yeah. not to burden anybody, but it is, it actually <laughs> makes life so much more mystical and miraculous to remember that we, if Hashem didn't want us here, we wouldn't be here. There's a, there's a desire that we're here to, do, to carry out God's will here on earth. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Yes, please. What you asked, how, how will the world be different after Mashiach comes? And you, you mentioned, quoted uh, Rev. Nachman earlier about every leaf, every stone is a camouflage for divine mystery. And I think um, when, the, when, when Mashiach comes, we will, our awareness will be less focused on the difference between the leaf and the stone and consequently each other. And what will shine through Beautiful. will be the divine mystery. And so that's where our focus will be. It will be much easier to live the mitzvah of your neighbor as yourself because we will see Amen. ourselves rather than the other. Amen. May it be so. Can you hear that song? Soon and in our day, as we say. May it be so. Um, uh, how do you repeat that? That, that, the, that, that the, our vision... In, messianic, in the Messianic era, when God and God's name is one, when Kaddish Baruch Hu, when the Holy One and Shechina are one, uh, there will be a, a common knowledge that God is beneath every stone. God is emanating through all of creation, and how much more so between people. And the, the difference between people and the difference in the otherness will, will, will evaporate. Because we'll realize that every, every person is a an image of the divine. Thank you. Well, that's a good, that's a wonderful place to pause. I'll be here for a while if you want to come up and introduce yourself. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.